Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 26 of the Panelized Prefab Kit Home Building Show. I'm here with the president and founder of Landmark Home and Land Company, a company which has been helping people build their new homes where they want, exactly as they want, across the nation and worldwide for well, 25 years now, since 1993. Steve Tuma. Steve, how are things going? Excellent. Staying busy as always. Uh, working with people to develop some very cool homes. Work some. A lot of our customers are working in areas that are very interesting, uh, whether geographically, weather-wise, building restriction-wise, historic areas, whatever it is. So, mm-hmm. it's always a it's always a fun day. Uh, taking care of each customer individually. It seems like uh, you're over at Landmark, you, you like to be challenged, and I think that's part of the fun. Um, so today I'd like to utilize my time with Steve uh, going over some aspects of panelized home building that that um, we haven't had all that much time in the past to go over, and uh, some things I, I'm sure uh, will pique his interest, some of the uh, uh, questions and uh, inquiries that uh, potential Landmark customers have brought to us. So if you're ready, Steve, let let me throw some questions out there, and I, I think our audience yeah, might let, be keen on, on hearing you tackle. Um, let's start with um, foundations. Uh, how do I know as a new home builder, uh, how do I know what type of foundation is best for my home and building site? I mean, uh, do I need the, the basement type of foundation, crawl space, what are their slabs, piers? It, it, it could get very daunting, I think, with all the choices. Right. Well, uh, th- there are different situations as to why you would choose one or the other. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you've got restrictions geographically. Sometimes there's situations of what people are used to building in an area, therefore they do it. And other times you've got the flexibility of doing any one of those types of foundations. So, so how how does it work? Mm-hmm. So let let's just we're basically going to review. I think uh, you said basements, crawl spaces, uh, slabs, slab, and yeah. then a pier system. Right. Yeah. So. Basements are, as everyone knows, it's like an area underground. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be a walkout if you're on the side of a hill where that basement, instead of just being you know, an enclosed area, is an open area. Mm-hmm. So if you were like on a lakefront or on the side of a hill, you could have a drive under garage, a workshop, uh, additional rooms, a uh, family room. That's kind of cool to have your garage underground. Oh, people have done it. Mm-hmm. Boats, you know, whole, you know, sometimes it's just. Recreational toys. If you're by a lake, that's where you bring the canoe in, you know, mm-hmm. picnic tables, whatever it would be. Right. So basements um, can pretty much go anywhere where the ground conditions allow for it. Um, you've got to check water tables, make sure the soils are right, make sure the terrain's right uh, for that. Some people will say, well, you never put a basement in California yeah. because <laughs> you don't people see are used to slabs. You don't see many. Well, and tip, it depends on where you're at because mm-hmm. if you're... In the areas with mountains, mm-hmm. you might have a house that steps out the side of a hill. And in a sense, the basement's a walkout basement. Mm-hmm. Someone might say, oh, that's a three-level home. Well, in a weird sense, it's it's a two-level home with a walkout basement. So uh, those are generally made from from cement or, or, or block foundations. We can design and engineer them all. Mm-hmm. So then there's also the crawl space, which... Is made like a basement, just not as deep. A lot of so, people have crawl spaces, right? Right. They mm-hmm. call them crawl spaces, raised foundations, stem wall foundations, mm-hmm. 
whatever it would be. And that basically raises the home above the ground so that there's space below the wood floor system of the main living level in the ground. Mm -hmm. So um, you can run plumbing ductwork down there and, and that would work. And sometimes people just don't want basements. Right. Other times they want crawl spaces. Now, the the example of a changing situation is Florida. A lot of people were building on slabs, but mm-hmm. there are areas of small hills. But we're finding a lot more people want to do a crawl space in Florida for energy efficiency reasons right. and, and different construction costs. So then there's the slab, which is literally just a cement slab put on a, a flat pad of ground. Real common here in California. Right, and it's a it's a situation where uh, generally it's considered to be the least expensive, mm-hmm. and then there's pier situations, which yeah. you might see in flood areas or hurricane areas where a house is ah, actually okay. lifted above piers, pilings. There's a variety of different words for the size and how they're used. So mm-hmm. sometimes people will use the the pier system to be environmentally friendly because you're not oh, disturbing okay. the soil as much. Right. Other times you're in an area where there might be a little bit of water flood situation along a river or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other situations where, you know, we'll take South Florida, where there's hurricane situations and the piers lift the house above the storm surge. So it's, uh, there. there's different reasons. People probably wouldn't put a house on 10-foot piers in the Midwest mm-hmm. unless they were along a river you know, where, where there's flooding or we've done some on the East coast. You can do them in California where people have, have done them or I shouldn't say California, but any mountain area, Okay, you know, where, where people have, you know, kind of cantilevered a house over some land. So, um, this is a situation where we can work with customers. I'm adding a little bit of complexity to it there by saying, Hey, you could use them in different places by under different conditions, mm-hmm. but generally in the Southwest, parts of california slabs are generally used unless you're in a hilly area mm-hmm. then you might get in a crawl space or basement in the midwest the plain states there's basements crawl spaces slabs and occasional pier home on the east coast it's generally basements or crawl spaces and sometimes slabs as you get farther south um, in the south we've done everything mm-hmm. uh, slabs crawl spaces basements and and piers if if a, along a flood area. Mm-hmm. The key to it is that we can work with you to find out what is best. So we don't, you know, we don't expect the customer to know. Hey, I, I definitely need to do this or that. The, most customers have an idea of what they want. We we just work with them to find out the situations. Uh, for example, you take a crawl space. In some areas, they could be just a couple feet tall. Other places, they need to be four feet tall or six feet tall. So there's a lot of work that we would do to make sure that it fits on the topography and works in the, the requirements for the building department. Mm-hmm. Right. So while we're talking about uh, foundations, um, how would I know if maybe it's best to use poured cement? Or, or I, I notice a lot of people um, building um, foundations out of cement blocks. I mean, what what's the, what's better? What's worse? What is the, the difference? Well, what's interesting about it is is a lot of the material choice sometimes is just derived by what's common in the area. Mm-hmm. Some areas, black is just more prevalent. Other areas, it's it's poured. Um, there, 
there's benefits of each one. Um, we've had customers build on islands, and if they're small little islands and inland lakes, mm-hmm. it's easier to put cement blocks on your boat and get them across oh, than it is to, it. Okay. to bring a cement truck or hand mix it. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, the the reality of most of these is people seem to have a preference or their contractor will have a preference. Mm-hmm. To us, the end result is pretty much the same. We'll design for what makes sense. Mm-hmm. If you need an engineer-designed stamped foundation design we can do that as well now that being said there's different reasons for for each one in engineering um but basically that's it's you know kind of what what's done in your community is mm-hmm. typically what we do now a basement can be poured cement or blocks so can crawl spaces so can pier systems mm-hmm. even slabs some slabs have um, stem walls or footers below the grade that will need a poured wall or a block oh, below it. It, okay. it kind of depends on on a variety of, of situations with the land, what's common in the area. So someone doesn't necessarily need to know, hey, I definitely want to go with a block foundation. If they have a preference, that's fine. But that's something that we can work through them, mm-hmm. uh, with them on, on the design element. Right. Now, I'm just curious, when using cement block uh, for your foundation, now, is that block has to be joined together at some in some fashion, correct? Well, it's generally mortared together, but you're bringing up a very strong point because sometimes you've seen block walls that are older and the blocks seem to be separated. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that's, that's why you want to make sure it's designed right. Some of them are filled, you know, every so many courses. There's rebar in them and reinforcement. Mm-hmm. To, to hold them together. So block walls can actually be made just as strong as the poured cement walls. Oh, there you go. You know, because of different types of blocks, different types of materials, reinforcement, and situations like that. Mm-hmm. Only in extreme situations have I seen engineers say, hey, you must use this or this should be done. Right. Um, but a, a lot of it really comes down to, uh, you know, just cost in your particular area or, or what's... What's common practice? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about something that's that's rearing its head a lot, sort of the, the new white elephant in the room. Let's talk about this uh, Wildland Urban Interface, or, or WUI. Can you go uh, through that with us? Yes, what that is is basically the interaction of a home and fire. It, it seems in the last few years we're hearing about bigger fires, record-breaking fires, more disasters and, and fires, and it it's... Uh, it's something where building departments are getting tuned into it. Mm-hmm. One of the leaders in it is the state of California where they've done the wildland urban interface. And it's a pretty in-depth process. But in summary, they basically want to make sure that your land is accessible so that you uh-huh. don't Got so it. that you don't have a bunch of materials that are flammable sitting around your house, your you know, just brush, wood piles, whatever it may be. They want to make sure that if there was an emergency situation that the first responders can get to your house. Mm -hmm. So they'd rather not have, you know, big walls of hedges or different things so so people couldn't get through. And then a a big portion of it is just the types of materials. Class A shingles that are fire resistant, cement board siding, uh, the way your eaves are enclosed, different details, the types of materials that are used for decks. Uh, it's 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 always interesting to me because people think, and I used to think this until I really, really got into it, 
that people were worried about fire spreading just that wall of fire going you know through a neighborhood from house to house to house mm-hmm. but then uh, all of us have seen the news where there's a house that's burned and 20 feet away there's a house that is unburned <laughs> right and you sit there and go how could this happen right it seems weird so i i was checking into this and i was like Who's, uh, who's got the tarot cards and doing the voodoo to protect their house? Well, that, yeah, you kind of think that. It's like, is this lucky? Should should that guy go buy a lottery ticket now? It's, it's kind of a situation. But then I, I heard this thing that just, it was mind-blowing, mm-hmm. that a, a burning ember can travel two miles. Mm-hmm. So when you see those things where there's a couple houses that are okay and a couple, you know, one or two houses in the middle that are burned... It's quite possible that there was a fire a distance, and one of these burning embers goes and lands on the unlucky house. Right. Well, if that unlucky house has uh, somewhere for this ember to sit and burn and turn into a fire, Mm -hmm. like under a roof shingle and a vent and a wood siding, suddenly that individual house burns Mm -hmm. and the neighboring ones don't. So it's not just the wall of fire that you have to worry about it's that individual little spark here here and there and mm-hmm. that's the reason for having certain types of roof systems i i was talking to someone and uh they wanted to build a house in uh, malibu california mm-hmm. and we were talking about tile roof systems the old tile roofs would just be tiles laying on top of each other right well theoretically an ember could get in between the tiles Go sit on the, the the wood sheathing of the roof system and start a fire, and you wouldn't even see it right. until it's yeah. too late. So now a lot of tiles, they get filled in with, with cement so that the ember can't kind of lodge in between the tiles. And, right. and a lot of the, well, the metal roofs are generally resistant. The asphalt Class A and Class B are resistant where the fire, um, the, uh, the embers won't, really catch on, on top of the roof shingle right. so that's the situation um now what's interesting is a lot of other states or municipalities or counties building departments are adopting california's a lot of places in the the western part of the country are adopting california's wui mm-hmm. uh, because they're as prone to fires as any other place right let's uh while we're on the subject of fires let's uh let's kind of get your answer on this so why are some building departments now requiring fire sprinklers in new homes that seems to be something that's been popping up over the last few years a lot right what what we noticed a few years ago five ten years ago is that some areas were requesting sprinklers in areas where the fire department couldn't get to right away mm-hmm. in rural areas and then california and other places have adopted it where any new house has to have it even if you're in a populated area even if the fire hydrant is right in front of your house and people would say hey what's the point of that so i did a little research into it talked to some of the designers and the theory is that if if your house caught on fire and the fire department was notified it could take a few minutes for the fire department to get to your house, get set up, and start spraying your house down. Right. Um, that in the meanwhile, in that few minutes, the fire is spreading. The theory, and I think it's been proven, so it's a little more than a theory, is that the sprinklers catch the rise of the heat mm-hmm. temperature, and therefore they're able to respond quicker. 
Oh, okay. So if right, you had a right. sprinkler system throughout your house and say something happened, for some reason your your office uh, garbage can catches on fire, mm-hmm. that zone would catch the fire or the, the burning, the smoking garbage can, and then put the fire out in a fraction of the time compared to the response time of even the best fire departments. Right. So that what's, makes sense. What's interesting is a lot of people would say, "Well, then my carpet's wet or my <laughs> desk gets wet," and it, it's kind of an interesting reaction. And I I agree with them, but it's better than your house being gone. <laughs> I think I'd put up with a wet carpet over my house being gone. Right. So so it's a situation where that system has to be designed. Make sure there's enough water flow. Make sure that it's by zone, so that if one sprinkler head goes off, it doesn't set the whole house. So, um, you know, when the codes tighten up like this, there's a little resistance because it's it costs some money to, to put these in. But I think if you look at the safety, mm. you know, situation that happens, whether you're home or not at home, it's a, it's a pretty good situation to, to have. So mm. uh, all of California needs, any new home in California needs them and other parts of the country, they're, they're either suggested or, or they're mandated mm. okay we're gonna get uh change the subject from fires to uh we, we, the word engineer or engineered we hear that uh you we hear you talk a lot about uh um uh, that word comes up a lot on the show so i'm gonna ask you a few questions about that if you don't mind like like uh um what's the difference between an engineered stamped plan and regular building plans i'd really like to know that it's basically the justification and the calculation for the design. So all of us have seen regular building plans. It'll say, hey, here's a house. Here's a certain dimension. Mm-hmm. Here's what the floor system's like. Here's what the roof system's like. Here's how the, the walls are framed and and so on and so forth. It's generally accepted information. A set of engineer stamp plans are plans that have the documentations calculations to show why the foundation walls are strong, why the floor system's strong, why the walls, why the roof systems are designed to withstand the particular situations. Mm -hmm. Now, if someone's building in a place where there aren't really any extreme situations, huge snow loads, high wind speeds, earthquakes, expansive soils, the building department won't always request engineer stamp plans. Mm. But in the case of, say, uh, say Lake Tahoe, Okay. Leadville, Colorado, where there's huge snow loads, anywhere in Florida because of the hurricanes, almost anywhere in California, pretty much everywhere in California on the West Coast where the earthquake faults are, they want to know that your house is designed properly. So an engineer goes through there and makes sure the materials are the proper strength and also the connections of the materials. Steve, it's like in the case of wood... Uh, a two by six in an earthquake generally doesn't snap. Mm-hmm. It's the connection where that two by six attaches to another component of the home. Right, right. That's what breaks. So you need to make sure those connections are right. They're nailed together right. The sheathing is put on right to to give it strength. A lot of people don't understand it. They think, well, engineering is just taking any set of plans, going to an engineer, having a cup of coffee with them, and you know, giving them a few hundred dollars, and he stamps the plans. Mm-hmm. That isn't necessarily engineering. In our opinion, structural engineering is the actual justification of the design. And the stamp is the certification by that particular engineer. 
to make sure that the the home's structure is significant to to meet or exceed the design criteria for for the the code application in the place. Mm. So I want to differentiate something here because a lot of people, generally in the southeast, um, say, "Well, this engineer said he'll stamp my plans for a couple hundred bucks. I just mm. have to go over and he'll do it." That's <laughs> not our opinion of engineering, and we're finding less and less engineers do that. Mm-hmm. Because of insurance reasons, liability, and and the building departments are standing up and saying, "No, we want to know that you calculated this." Right. So in some cases, you can. We just finished a house that had 126 pages of calculations, justifying why a beam is a certain strength, why a connection's done a certain way, why mm-hmm. a wall needs to be a sheer wall. Mm-hmm. So so that's the key element, and this really separates it. There are a lot of plan services online that say, hey, just take your plans to an engineer and they'll stamp them. You know, maybe 10 years ago, not in today's climate, <laughs> you you need to have a set of plans that an engineer start, it was involved with from the through the design process to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And there's likely to be a lot of situations. By the way, engineering can affect the architectural design of your roof or mm-hmm. of your house. Your roof system, your walls, the spans, the open areas, the sizes of windows, different details like that. I don't mm. want to add complexity to it, but I, we take it seriously and we want to make sure the house is designed right. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, while we're on this uh, this word engineer and engineered, we're, let's talk about uh, engineered lumber materials. Now, run us run that uh, run us through that. What what exactly are engineered lumber materials? Well, that's kind of interesting, but let, let's take the uh, a simple 2x10. A 2x10 is a natural material. It's typically pine, some type of pine, Douglas fir, spruce, mm-hmm. whatever it may be for whatever part of the country that you're in. And that will have a certain strength or design criteria capability. You know, it can span so much and carry so much weight. Mm-hmm. Well... What's happened over the course of time and building evolution moving forward is they've determined that they could create man-made materials of the same size that are stronger. Oh, okay. What's interesting about these is, in theory, some of these are greener materials because they're able to take small pieces of wood, bind Mm -hmm. them together to create one big piece of wood so you don't need to cut big trees down. To, to make certain and Are beams. they able to use recycled wood and things like that for this process? Sometimes it's recycled. Some, sometimes it's just smaller pieces of wood. So mm-hmm. the example is in the old days, if you had a beam that was six six inches by 20 inches tall, mm-hmm. you had to cut, you had to find a tree that was straight, you know, and, <laughs> and you could cut that out of. Mm-hmm. Now they can use small pieces, remnants of wood, and bind create, it together uh, to create a six uh, by, by twenty beam. Right. It's it's greener and it's stronger. That's so, awesome. That's great. So one of them, the the common and easy to understand ones are LVL, which is laminated veneer lumber, and it it almost looks like a very thick piece of plywood mm-hmm. if, if we were to look at the profile of it. And then there's glue lamb, which is glue lamination. It, it's kind of, if you looked at the side of one, it looked like a butcher block. So if uh, someone took a bunch of two-by-sixes and laminated them together. Mm-hmm. So you end up with those beams. They're they're using, they're, they're a greener process, but size for size, they're stronger. Mm. 
So that that's what engineering. Well, that's a great option. That's awesome. Right. So so instead of having to cut down that hundred foot tree to get a certain size sure. beam, they can use smaller trees or or shavings from other parts of it to to create those beams. Mm-hmm. The key to it is they're affordable, they're stronger, they're greener, and they have better performance values. Yeah, I've seen people do this thing with. Uh, I think I know what's going on now. So there, this there's this. There are companies that make these faux wood. They're made out of resin. They're like a a, a long uh, block, and they stick them over wood, and it looks like right. a hundred year old tree. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, and that that's what's happening because mm-hmm. an engineered piece of wood. Say you had a real rustic home. Uh-huh. You know, you're you're building up in the North Woods, or you know, in some mountain area, mm-hmm. and you you wanted a big open space. But you didn't want an engineered beam. Right. You, a lot of people are doing the full wood, or they're taking a simpler home and giving it that that rustic design. Mm-hmm. I, I think a podcast or two ago we talked about the finishing materials. Mm-hmm. So you could take a very basic home and dress it up and give it that oh, large log yeah, home yeah. type look without going through the expense of true logs and all the the, the issues with log maintenance. Mm. Yeah, it's a good little diversion. You're, you're, it's, <laughs> it's, it's interesting what, what can be done with the materials that weren't available 20 years yeah, ago. Yeah, you're, you're being environmentally friendly while you're, uh, you're creating a pretty cool-looking house. Right, and you're also making the building processes uh, much more simple. Mm. Well, speaking of building a cool-looking house, I, w- I wanted to ask this question in the last podcast, and I, I kind of uh, just kind of slipped by me, but so I'll ask it now. Um Let's say I'm a um, guy that's uh, going to be building a house, uh, and I've I start piecing things together before the walls are even up. I go, I've gone out and I've bought cabinets, and I've purchased doors, windows, other items that I'm just building my dream house in my head, sort of with with all of the uh, with all of the elements. Um, how would I use all this stuff sitting in my garage and boxes in my new home? Can Landmark help me kind of put that together? Yes, we actually have a few projects like that right now. Sometimes mm-hmm. what happens is people want to control their budget so they see liquidation sales mm-hmm. <laughs> or they see a special deal, you know, a, a place is getting rid of a sample cabinet or for some reason they just happen a bunch of, have a bunch of windows and they, they want to work it into the design. Uh, we can do that. We're working on a project right now like that in Colorado mm-hmm. where this customer has some huge picture windows that he wants to put in the dormers of a chalet. Mm-hmm. So we worked with them. And what's interesting about that is, you know, let's let's take windows, for example. We, we've got to make sure that they work right because in some cases they need to be tempered glass. Other times they could be regular glass. Right. But, yes, if, if you have materials... Um, it'll happen. We had one customer. There was a building that was some 1800s bank building that was getting demolished in the Dakotas, and somehow they were driving by, and it was an old bank. So they actually bought the walls, the old teller. <laughs> that's great. And they they put it in a, like a little kind of party room in their house. Ah, that's great. So yeah, so they were able to incorporate that. So we've had people uh, say, hey, the husband, he builds his own cabinets. Mm-hmm. 
we put them in. Or they run into some liquidation situation where they're able to get windows at a fraction of the cost. Mm-hmm. We're, we're all up for that. We can go through and do it. And a lot of people are doing reclaimed materials. Like you just talked about, you know, the beams, mm-hmm. you know, the faux beams. Well, some people will go through and find some old barn wood or something and right. give that's, a, that's great. a real custom, older, older look. So we're able to... Uh, do things like that now at some point you know you don't want to go reclaim insulation or you know di- different situations there there might be issues with that but mm-hmm. in general finishing materials if if there's different wood floors that someone wants to put together or they want to create their own trim from wood off the land we've actually had people do that mm-hmm. where they go through and they might have to clear a few trees well they've actually milled it and use that material for the inside of their house uh-huh. So if someone has the desire to do that, I'm all up for it. It's just it's just really really cool to see a, a family go through and really personalize the house and yeah. get the house that they want. How fun is that? That's great. No, it's 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 amazing. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty insane what what some people come <laughs> up with and and what they put together. So designing the house isn't just putting the window so you have a view of the lake or the mountain or the the view that you want to take care of. It's it's the interior finishes as well. And sometimes mm-hmm. when there's a story behind the wood trim or the wood that you made the countertop out of, mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 pretty interesting. Yeah, that's good stuff. I love to see that the whole uh, repurposing thing going on. That's, uh, that's really exciting. So we're about out of time here on the Panelized Prefab Kit Home Building Show. And uh, I want to thank all of you for listening in once again. But before we go... Um, as always, I want to give Steve a chance to let people know just how to contact the, everybody over there at uh, Landmark Home and Land Company. Well, thanks. The, uh, the the quickest and easiest way, you can do it on your smartphone or right on your computer, is uh, at our website, lhlc.com. That's uh, or LH, sometimes people think I'm saying A, but it's LHLC, like... Landmark Home Land Company. Mm-hmm. You can look at our website at any time that's convenient for you. You can also call us at 800-830-9788. And Mike will answer the phone. You can review your whole project, talk about the land, talk about the financing, talk about design. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also email Mike at LHLC.com. And I'm always available at Landmark at LHLC.com. Uh, we're also on uh, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, a variety of social platforms that, that people can see, look at pictures, get ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, the most important thing is we are available. We are interested in your project individually to find out what it is that you need and how we can help you uh, put it put it together. Uh, we, we like taking the time to make sure that every customer is kind of helped individually to make sure that they get the support that they need and uh as always i want to let everybody know that at landmark customer service is uh what they're known for um along along with building great houses (laughs) oh yeah cool ones let's let's put it together so it's uh we i look at it this way when when you're coming home from work after a hard day work you should pull up to your house and go this is cool i'm Mm. glad i did it and that that's what we want to do we want to help people um, get the house that they want. Fantastic. All right. So for Steve Tuma and myself, uh, thank you for joining us here on the Panelized Prefab Kit Home Building Show, and we will see you next time. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>